Some are saying Charlottesville was a turning point. Do our teachers feel the same way? Plus, new research suggests great inflation is the newest form of the achievement gap. Do our teachers face pressure to raise their students' grades? Those topics, plus Ask the Teachers and Kids These Days, Yes, It's Back, on this episode of the No Wrong Answers Podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned public radio journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk, so let's introduce them. Maddie Burkemper. Hi. Welcome back. What do you teach? I teach fifth grade. Fifth grade, up from fourth grade. You've moved up with your kids. I've looped. You've looped, as they say, in yes. the education world. Luann Fox, what do you teach? Hi there. Uh, I teach high school English. And a new face at the table, David Persley. David Persley, what do you teach? Um, I teach high school math and computer science. Well, welcome. It's good to have you here. All three of them are public school or charter school teachers in the Kansas City metro area. Well, let's get to it. A week later and uh, Charlottesville, the violent violent events there, their social and political aftermath really still on many people's and educators' minds. This is a conversation that's not stopped and probably will not stop for a while. We are taping this episode a day after demonstrations broke out across the nation. Demonstrations against white supremacy, neo-Nazism, bigotry. The biggest such demonstration was in Boston where thousands of people turned out to counter what was being billed as a free speech rally. There were also demonstrations against racism and bigotry from Portland, Oregon to Hot Springs, Arkansas. School in Charlottesville begins August 23rd. That's after the taping of this episode. Understandably, the mood there is described as somber, one teacher told Ed Week, referring to the violent protests, quote, we saw it, we felt it. It was my hope that children in the 21st century would never have to have images like that in their minds. Parents in Charlottesville reportedly say their kids are going to bed afraid. And there was a lot of discussion in media outlets about just how teachers across the country should address these events with students. On NPR's All Things Considered recently, Rachel Caldwell, a fourth grade teacher in Charlottesville, said this when asked if she was preparing to talk about it with her students when they return from summer break. I think we do a disservice to our students and our community at large when we underestimate what students are ready and able to talk about. That's why we are there as educators, to help them grapple with these topics, how to notice injustice, address it, and engage with it productively. On last week's episode of No Wrong Answers, we were still, frankly, just digesting the news of Charlottesville. We taped it the day after those events. We talked about our teachers' feelings and reactions, what they might expect school to be like. They had not actually returned to school. Well, now school is back in session for our teachers at the table today. We've had a week or at least a few days to reflect and think about things like bigotry, white supremacism, anti-racism, hate speech, and how those things should be talked about in the schoolhouse. So I guess just jumping off of what the teacher Rachel Caldwell said, what we heard her say, it might be kind of a difficult question, I think. So in the aftermath of Charlottesville, this uh, this man who's alleged to have driven his car into a crowd, it's still alleged, um, but he's now in custody, charged with this murder. Um, there was a lot of talk about him in high school, he showed an you know an infatuation for the Nazis, a love for Hitler. He said things that were disturbing about race. And even a, a teacher he had in high school in Ohio said straight up, you know, after he was arrested, after this incident occurred, we failed. I failed. We as in the, the school system. I wonder, for those of you who who teach white students, I guess especially who teach white males, does an event like this make you um, – 
I'll just ask you, do you worry that the, the students that you're teaching will become white supremacists someday? Yes, sometimes, yeah. I feel like it would be hard to answer, no, I'm not worried. Like, based on what I teach in the classroom, right? So start there. Based on that, the fact that I need to supplement my social studies curriculum with actual facts, like, black faces are erased from that. Um, from the curriculum na- you have. Yeah. The Native American faces are erased from the curriculum that I'm teaching in a way where it... Um, like their their perspective isn't shown, and so I need to grab outside resources, which is not very supported. You know, just overall, I'm not supposed I'm supposed to teach what I'm given. I'm not supposed to bring an outside curriculum. So when I start with that, and then, you know, if you have a teacher who does quote unquote like rebel from teaching the curriculum, like that's my point is it's not sufficient. Like mm-hmm. I don't have the sufficient information and the sufficient even more importantly, systematic support to leave feeling like all of my students have been accurately educated. Luann. I, I have a few thoughts about this. Um, one, the, the, the one that just popped into my head uh, first was the, the idea that we're failing students. Um, it's now commonly accepted that Charles Manson um, and everything behind Helter Skelter is that he wanted a race war. Here's one man who wanted that. And, like, the beginning of this cult sort of, like, dealt with that. And I'm, I find it hard to believe that Charles Manson, when he would have been in school, would have um, not been taught the same kinds of things that other classmates would have been taught. And so did they fail Charles Manson? I mean, I think there's something um, in the person. Okay, so that that's one thought I have. Um, another thought I have is like, will we have white supremacists? What what, what is the the rise of supremacy? It's it's because we have like real problems in the world that are probably brought on by corporate greed and um, huge inequalities, huge gaps between the haves and the have-nots, and that's where the fear comes in. And then when you can scapegoat, I mean, like. Hitler was a failed artist. Um, there was the fallout after World War One, and there's a vacuum where he can scapegoat a certain amount of people. I mean, when we have these things where we can scapegoat large masses of people, I think we're going to see supremacy. So, so I'll ask it this way. Are you, has um, Charlottesville or anything that's happened before Charlottesville made you more aware of, of what your students, your white students are saying? Has it made you more aware of maybe trying to see uh, – quote-unquote warning signs? Mm-hmm. The, the biggest thing that I can speak to as a high school teacher, truthfully, of, of a, the not most diverse community, um, we're not very diverse at all, I teach them how to use language, and I teach them how language actually makes meaning. And it's just super important, I believe, right now, in a world where they see everything devolve into arguing, text box A is arguing with text box B all of the time, no matter what, on social media, in public and in private, that we give them tools to be able to talk in ways that we can like actually teach each other things that we need to know to go forward instead of doing ad hominem attacks um, that then devolve into violence. Have you ever had a moment where... A student has said something that just blew you away with? Students don't generally, um, they're savvy enough to not do that in the classroom. It usually plays out in social media, and then I hear about it on the back end. I mean, it's usually a digital issue. So you're talking about the the digital online influence. This is a question generally, I think, for all of you. I I think for um, certainly this alleged attacker in Charlottesville, for a a guy like Dylan Roof before that, there is a growing realization there is a – 
a, a, a vast, very potent, and I think successful and efficient online community of white supremacists, websites like the Daily Stormer, that mm-hmm. if they're not learning it in school, if they're not learning it from their parents, they are being radicalized online. And so mm-hmm. I guess the final question for this segment, I guess, to you would be, if that is the case, if we're now realizing that is a problem, um, as educators, what is your, your role or, or possibly even your ability to combat that? It's, it's tricky to the extent that you don't want to be all up, up in a student's business, you know. You want to give them, I guess, some room and some freedom to, you know, figure out what, what makes them tick. But at the same time, obviously, you know, certain websites that, um, and I mean, I think this is just indicative of the age we live in in terms of technology, but we're all living in echo chambers, right? So if you just get tapped into one particular internet circle, you can find an infinite amount of resources that continue to confirm certain beliefs, some which obviously end up being bigoted and hateful. The biggest thing to do is, like, communicate to all of your students the the flaws of, like, the Internet as a place of getting information exclusively. Like, you can basically validate whatever ideas you have from it. So in the process of actually trying to, like, learn more and seek truth and understanding, really valuing the opinion of multiple perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, and And that's really, really difficult, I think, to to implore students to do, but, you know, it, that argument can be made from, from, from both sides. It's just, you know, the, the um, certain online circles tend to, I think, you know, just produce um, negative outcomes for students because they just keep on confirming the own ideas they had before, and I think the best way to just try to offset that is maybe not to shame them for it as much as you just call in a question what, where else are you getting information? How much more do you want to know about this? Because you're only looking at this from one side. Because I feel like if you just shame them about it, it's just going to push them more to that extreme. Our podcast today is sponsored by Teach for America Kansas City, which believes one day all children will have the opportunity to attain an excellent education. You can make an immediate impact on that mission in Kansas City to find out how. Visit teachforamerica.org, find them on Twitter at TFA underscore KC, and on Instagram at TFA KC. An interesting story published recently in the Heckinger Report and the Atlantic reveals a new dispiriting wrinkle in the achievement gap. New research from the College Board, that's the same organization that runs AP testing, among other things, shows that GPAs over the past 20 years have gone steadily up in suburban and private high schools, while GPAs in urban schools have stayed relatively flat. The authors say, not surprisingly, that high-achieving suburban and private schools that tout the rates at which their students get into colleges and selective colleges are incentivized to inflate their students' grades. In turn, parents at these suburban and private schools put more pressure, implicit and explicit, on schools and teachers to raise grades. Now, how do we know it's grade inflation? Couldn't it be that... Students at these schools are just doing better academically than they did 20 years ago. Luann's already shaking her head no. Well, researchers at, <laughs> researchers at the College Board also looked at SAT scores for the same period and found while, yes, GPAs at suburban and private schools are going up, average SAT scores in the same time actually went down. No. This is, as one researcher puts it in this Heckinger Report article, another, quote, systemic disadvantage for poor kids and children of color who... Um, attend urban schools. The author of the report itself is quoted as saying, the upward drift in GPA does seem aligned with wealth in very troubling ways. The article goes on to note that great inflation seems to work like a contagion among these suburban and private schools. If one school is giving out higher grades 
and their graduates' GPAs are on average higher than other schools nearby competing with that school will also start to, consciously or not, raise their grades as well. The problem is compounded again, the article notes, because colleges increasingly are relying less on SAT and ACT scores for admissions. What with those test problems of cultural bias and general fears about their accuracy in determining student achievement, so colleges are using GPAs more to assess students during the admissions process. At least that's what this article says. All right. Well, that is the issue, a new achievement gap in grades. We have a couple of high school teachers here and a fifth grade teacher. (laughs) Um, Do you face overt pressure from parents, administrators, students to inflate grades? I'll say no. We get more pressure from parents to offer more elective courses in terms of allowing students to kind of find different pathways to figure out what may interest them in terms of a career. I think most of our parents understand that being at a somewhat small school, our student's body is around 250. Most teachers teach three to four classes, unique courses. And so... And to be clear, it's a charter school it as is well. A charter yeah, school. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so trying to expand our course offerings to have AP would... I think it would be beyond the capacity of our school to offer. We offer a few, but, you know, for a student taking seven hours of courses in a day, they wouldn't be able to have seven We, we should say that in and of itself limits how high their GPA oh, exactly. can go, yeah, right? Yeah, so, I mean, precisely. You, you, you're talking about, I mean, you do offer some AP courses, but yes. even the highest achieving students at your school will top out at a— Like 4.2 because they have two AP classes. And a student at a, a school that offers more AP courses could go how high? To a 4.5, 4.6— if they, you know, all seven classes they take are AP courses or IB courses or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, our, our top tier students would not, you know, on paper appear the same. Um, and if you don't, you know, look into the weeds and take a look at those transcripts, you wouldn't be able to know that. Luann, you teach at one of these suburban high schools in this article. And I know you have some, um, I don't want to say issues, but you have some, you have some comments about this report. Yeah, uh, I am surprised that the GPA is something that colleges are looking at when one of the things that we've talked to students about, and I think successfully for the better part of a generation probably, um, and parents as well, is that it isn't so much GPA uh, as much as it would be, say, what is in the course that your course selection, right? So if you choose a rigorous course pattern, that matters on your transcripts. Um, and it also matters what you do extracurricularly and how rounded you are as an actual um, student. So I don't feel any pressure about grade inflation at all. If there's anything, it's it's about it's about that. It's about students who are stressing themselves out. By doing too much. Uh, right. By being involved in more AP courses than they can actually handle because of what the demands of AP courses are going to be in multiple subjects. Mm-hmm. Because they feel like they need to have this club under their belt or they need to be doing this activity or be getting into this um, extracurricular thing that will help them look better when they're trying to compete with other people for colleges. So it's more that than it is actual like what my grade is. So interesting. You say that you have not faced or do not feel overt or explicit pressure to raise students' grades. No. Interesting. I, I No, I don't. Um, uh, no. I mean, I, the, it sounds like it's a conversation that your school and district have been having for a long time trying to kind of message um, this preparation for college in a way that that steers away from the the kind of 
grade grubbing test score that might have been seen in the past? Is that am I am I hearing that correctly? Right. It's different from what than from when I was in school, so which was a long time ago. But uh, but yeah, certainly, and that speaks to the part of this article that will talk about the haves and the have-nots with preparation. So mm. obviously, uh, wealthier students are going to be having more access to uh, tutoring, um, outside influences to get them ready for uh, test prep. Uh, Maddie, you're. Fifth grade. What does this conversation look like? From a, <laughs> your eyes are like so wide. Yeah. What does this conversation look like from a fifth grade perspective? Like, talking about grades, talking about you know um, GPAs. <laughs> There's no GPAs at the, at the elementary school, are there? No. Right. Right. No. Okay. No. no. Uh. Uh-uh. I mean, do you see any any of the of the same type of like you know positioning? Kids trying to compete. Kids trying to like get ahead. Well, I do have my wow work. On my wall, <laughs> which is hot competition. Tight. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I mean, displaying no, like student nothing. work. Displaying yeah, student work. Yeah, like I'll go through the exit tickets from yesterday's math lesson, and I'll pick out the kids who, like, not only is it a hundred, but like, look at that legible handwriting, and I'll stick it up on the. <laughs> I'm serious. They love it, yeah. and I stick it up on the wall, and that's like. You know, when the kindergarten teacher says, who wants to come help? I'll go, well, Austin, you had some wow work the other day. And then they'll get to go and get all the candy. And, but, no, I mean, no, nothing I wonder where nothing that, like I wonder this. where, when does it change in a, in a student's education career? I think high school. I mean, that's when it changed, like, from my personal life. That's when it changed for me. Well, there. Uh, let's move on to the, uh, the next segment. This is a new segment, a uh, new thing we're trying here at No Wrong Answers. We're calling it Ask the Teachers. We've asked our listeners to chime in with questions, problems, issues, dilemmas they are experiencing at work. Consider it Dear Abby for educators. Anybody listening to this, in fact, right now, can go to the No Wrong Answers Facebook page and you'll find a shared Google Doc what we call our community feedback form. You can click on that, and voila, you'll be able to give feedback on recent episodes, share ideas for future episodes, and pose questions for our now new Ask the Teachers segment. We started asking listeners to contribute questions last week, and we got several responses. Our teachers here today have been prepped, have been given the questions in advance, so they kind of know what's coming. So here we go. Our first Ask the Teachers. We have three questions here. Let's start with, um, so this is a question from a listener. I've noticed an increase in the number of, quote, reward discipline systems in schools in the past few years. I'm guessing this means uh, giving rewards, for, you know, or to incentivize good behavior. Um, it asks, what are your experiences with these systems um, and have they influenced student behavior. Can we start with the fifth grade teacher? Yes. I'm very excited for this one. And I have strong opinions. Lightning rounds. Let's go. Okay. You're going to have to edit some of this out and I'm going to start talking fast. So my school uses the PBIS, um, the positive behavior incentive thing. Do you not like it? David doesn't like it. You have thoughts? Okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to boil all the jargon down and say, I'm pro incentives. I was not before. I hated them because I was was like, oh, we need to to build intrinsic motivation. But let's ask some questions to our listeners. Would you go to work if you weren't getting paid? Number one. Next. No. (laughs) Would you drive the speed limit if you knew that you were, like, vincible against tickets? Okay. What about would you eat healthily every single day if you knew that you were also, like, in, like— 
you were no longer affected by calories no or, or health yeah. your, or, or, or your health. Like you would suffer no negative health, you know. I, I don't have the words because I'm so like impassioned <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. about. So you say there are ex- there are extrinsic there are extrinsic motivations yeah. in re- in the real world. Right. So there should be extrinsic motivations in school. Yes, and I like I'm not pro like carrying around a jug of candy while I teach. Like that's not cool. But to say that like you know, especially in elementary school, that kids who have a hard time staying on task anyway should just be able to like. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it because that's what I did. Or love school because you yeah. love learning. Like math was taught that's in exactly a drill and kill say. way, and that <laughs> totally killed our math culture in America. Like there's just so – seriously, hit so, me up, find me on Facebook or whatever, and I will I will change your mind about extrinsic motivation because almost everything we do is hmm. extrinsic. David, you, know? you yeah. have thoughts. Um, yeah, I – I'm not a fan of incentives. Um, it's just not my mm. mo to, to and, like. And to, to be clear, you you Let's are a high school it. teacher. What do you, like, so, yeah. what do you mean by incentives? Yeah. Um, you know what? I guess let me rephrase that. I think that I'm trying to think how to phrase this. I am adamant about voicing when students are doing great work, and I love naming that, and I love empowering them about that. Yes, and I think that is a reward in its own right. Yeah, and, totally. And so, right, and and so I think I guess I'm 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 looking at it from a perspective of materialism, like mm-hmm. candy or like some no, sort of yeah. like you I'm know, anti candy like, every or day. like you know a school like a school monetary system, like you know school bucks or something like that. Like that just it's you never don't like the school bucks. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do it for me. It's just I so guess. Then how, so then, how do you incentivize? How do you motivate? If you if you if you're if you're not there's no materialism. There's no extrinsic stuff. Also, your high school. Yeah, I am, and I guess my whole mentality. And this is something I, I talk to my kids constantly is just like, don't expect to always be rewarded for your hard work. Just trust that it's going to pay you dividends down the road. Mm-hmm. And, and so to that extent, I just don't want them being wired to think that every effort or action that they give is going to give them something back in, like instantly in that moment. Like At least from, from my perspective and experience growing up, that wasn't the case. And I'm not mm-hmm. that far removed from my students, but... Mm-hmm. I know that we live in, you know, a instant gratification age, you know, like I have resistance from students when I like operate within the system that I do, but I, I just don't want them to know, like expect for everything yeah. to be given to Luanne. them. My, th- my <laughs> thoughts about that are going to be when, uh, when rewards are really authentic and intrinsic, I think that they really work well when they are school-wide. That is not going to work. Give me work. an example of a school-wide reward. I will reward. definitely give you an example of that. <laughs> um, so when our school trots out, like, week of giving because we, we've deemed it so in uh, in November. Um, and everybody has stickers and our uh, school <laughs> prints off a gazillion and five of them. The the students give out the stickers really willy-nilly or it just becomes a competition as who can get the most stickers. I mean, you're supposed to be giving a sticker if someone is caring or friendly or altruistic or, or any of those kinds of things. But when it just becomes a school-wide issue and it's and it's put in front of the kids, it's like now is the time that we're really going to focus on, I don't know, basically being good people, then it really, I think it demeans that. It's not really authentic for, for students. Uh, the next question in Ask the Teachers, it's a tougher question. A student told me she was sexually harassed online by a teacher... What happens next? What should I do? And so I, we're good. We okay. got it. You got it. Yep. Two. Okay. Very the, right away. I mean, 
I know that if, that if that happened to me, I would say to the student, I mean, number one, I would make sure that they know that's very serious business. I mean, that that is a that is a that's a serious thing right there. Um, and then immediately, number two, I would be getting specifics from that student. Can the student produce some specifics? And and corollary to that, um, is there any room for any interpretation or misinterpretation there? I mean, those things, I think, have to be dealt with right away. So you want to see... The, the the post or the online evidence, right? I mean, to, things to cannot be hearsay at that level. Yeah, I mean, right. absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely serious business, specifically what's going on. Yeah. Are we sure this is clear? Yeah, so. Maddie. Okay, step one: document everything that happens. Take a picture, print it off, have it in a. This is like concrete advice that comes after the questions of make sure you have someone to talk to that you trust, self-care, are you okay? And also asking that person, how do you want to handle this moving forward? Because, you know, the thing that comes after sexual harassment is like your autonomy is taken away. So first and foremost, what do you want to do? I'd ask that student, how do you want to proceed? If they want to proceed by, you know, going through legal channels, then one, document everything. Two, reach out and talk to the school's Title IX person that's either in the district or in the building. Also, if you have a hard time working through school channels, you can go to the Equal Rights Advocates and they'll help you. Also, go and check the district handbook for any information. And most of the time before any action is taken or the district is liable, you have to let a person of authority know. So for like them to be held liable for anything. So you have to document everything. And I would immediately try and reach out to a person of authority within the school district. So a principal, someone in central office and let them know that this has happened. Give them all that information. And then if they don't respond, that's when you go to Title IX or the Equal Rights Advocates. Mm -hmm. You just got to you got to get them. Uh, Maddie and Luann covered it pretty thoroughly, David. Anything to add? (laughs) No, not really. Um, (laughs) I would say in the event that a student didn't want to proceed yes. and move forward, right? That's, that's the only good. thought that's going through my mind, and that's like a fear. Are mm-hmm. you somehow allowing that same teacher or faculty member to continue? I guess what would you do if they don't if they don't want to proceed? I mean, would you? What would you I do? think at that point you might have to go above the student's personal interest in terms of maybe not directly addressing. Like the if situation. you have, I think if you have evidence, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if there's evidence, I think that faculty members should be dealt with swiftly mm-hmm. and immediately and maybe, you know, you try to respect the student's wishes and in not involving them, but mm-hmm. still removing that faculty member mm-hmm. and trying to deal with that, you know, outside of the, you know, I guess, public lens or mm-hmm. lens between that student and that yeah, faculty totally. member. Well, I didn't want to do that question last because it was a heavy topic. So this is what we'll do last for Ask the Teachers. This was another question from a listener. What are three things you wish non-teachers knew about teaching or teachers? And we don't want to add, we don't want all three of you to list three things. We'll get one thing from each of you, and that will be three things. So, what are three things oh, wow. that you uh, wish non-teachers knew about teaching or teachers? Luann, I will tell you one thing that I really wish non-teachers understood. Although there are many things, but here's like here's one thing. Teaching may be different than it has been back when you were a student, and that's one thing that binds us all together is that we've all gone through school in some form or fashion, and we've all seen movies about school in some form or fashion, and it is not 
like that. It is not like Mr. Holland's Opus. It is not like Dangerous Minds. And it is not like Dead Poet Society because what it is a lot is constant monitoring and adjusting and working with mm-hmm. sometimes actual drudgery. And that does not make for good movies. So you can't, you can't take what teaching is like from what you have seen that's gotten popular appeal. Yeah. You've never been up on your desk? You never stood up on your desk? I have. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie, what, uh, what, what's something that you wish non-teachers knew about teaching? Can I request teach- to go last? Because I wrote my three things down uh, and I have to pick. Okay. okay. David. Oops. Pass it. Uh, <laughs> I would say every time I mention being a teacher to someone, everybody's like, oh, my God, like has this like really like intensive reaction. Like, how do you do it? And I don't know. I guess my, my response would be kids are great. Um, and... I know maybe not everybody is compelled to work with children, but they exhibit so much resiliency and they have, I don't know, they're at that age where they just exhibit certain qualities and traits that I feel like sometimes we as adults lose, Mm -hmm. become socialized and no longer exhibit. And and so, I don't know, I just, I, I think kids are great and I think that people constantly underestimate them and that's usually what I find myself talking to most about non-educators and Maddie back to you okay well you guys kind of hit my other two they, they link so I'll go with the first one which is it's not very emotional but I just want people to know how much easier it is to go into school sick than it is to call in like that's, oh, snaps on that one. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Explain that. Well, first, I want, I want to turn the tables. Like, if you were sick, Kyle, if you woke up and you're like, oh, my Was gosh. In my job as a radio, at, a, at a radio like station. You have a huge head cold. Right, okay. Okay, and you're not, you don't necessarily have a fever, but you're like, I feel. Call my boss. Expletive. Boom. Do it. I'm off. Call, that's, call. That's oh, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, remember, I used to be a teacher, so I get what you're yep. saying. So, oh, but, you're but, so but, right. I'm but, sorry. But, I forgot. but explain, explain what you mean. Okay, well, um, you kind of have to plan to be sick. Like, at the beginning, of, do you guys need to make emergency subplans? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So like, I have like to— Like, before you get—like, you make, you make right. these at the beginning of the year. It's like required of right, all yeah. people to have an emergency subplan. So, like, I just—I need to prep a lot. Like, I need to make my emergency subplans for, you know, like, that one time in December in case I get sick. And I'm constantly updating that emergency plan because— as we move throughout the year, what I've taught changes. So like what might make sense for the kids to do in August does not make sense for them to do in case I'm throwing up in March, you know? So I need to do that. If you're sick, you better pray that you fi- like realize that you were sick before 5 a.m. the day you want to call off. Otherwise, you might as well go in because then you need to call all the substitutes in the middle of the morning, and if one doesn't show up, then your colleagues are going to hate you because you need to split your classes. Have you guys done that? Oh, yeah. Right, they have to cover you. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it's not – like, at least in elementary school, I can't be like, free period. I don't know if that's what you do. No offense. I'm not trying to hate on you. I don't, I don't say it like that. Yeah. But, like, yeah. you know, but I can't – like, I can't do that. So I need to – my colleagues end up having, you know, 12 extra kids in their class for the whole day. There's just so much I could say about it that, again, I won't. But I want you to know it's really – I've gone to school. Unless I'm vomiting or something else is happening, it's I'm easier. It's easier just to bear it out as opposed to calling in. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Don't be sick. <laughs> don't be, just yeah. don't do it. Well, that's our first Ask the Teacher segment. Again, to ask our teachers questions or pose them problems or dilemmas you are facing at work, go to No Wrong Answers Facebook page, log on to our community, feedbook, community feedback document, and – Ask a question. 
Well, we typically end our episodes with a segment we call Kids These Days. Yes, it's back finally after a summer in the wilderness. We ask our teachers what's trending among their students because they have students again. So they can they know what's trending among their students, at least through the first couple of days of school. Um, it was hard to do it over the summer, but we may do. Now they're back. The kids are back, and Kids These Days is back. So my original idea for this was to ask if your kids had songs of the summer. Before we got on air, it seemed that everybody was singing Despacito, and that was it. So I guess just coming back from school, you've had them for a couple days now. What are the trends? Clothes, hairstyle, accessories, music, whatever. What's trending with your kids? Luann. I... I, I truly have noticed nothing. Actually, what I've, what I've yeah. so so what I've done is I've actually exposed my kids to a song, but that gets into more into curriculum. So, but I've actually um, your showed, kids have your your kids have nothing. no new things about them. Not not that I have noticed. What? Tans, they're yeah. tan. They're tan. <laughs> they're tan. Because it's the summer. Yep, they're wearing fewer clothes than they did before because you know it's hot. So I mean, I've noticed that, but um, that's it. Yeah, David. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say a few songs that I didn't. Okay, all right, right. Yeah. What, what are your kids' uh, songs of the summer? Uh, I'm the one by DJ Khaled. Um, oh yeah. Yep. Uh, what else? Bodak Yellow by Cardi B. And mm-hmm. Bank Account, 21 Savage, those songs have been, I've been hearing them everywhere for my kids. Okay, um, I know one of those songs. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're bangers. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard them and you just didn't realize you probably did. That's how it tends to be so, with me in these songs. That's why I had to look them up. Do they, so do your kids like just walk around with their cell phones on playing the music as they like walk from class to class? Um, when they're practicing allowed? out on the field during oh. sports season, when they're like coming into school, yeah, they're, you know, just bumping tracks, listening to their music. That's fine. Um, yeah, they. Maddie, what's up with fifth graders nowadays? Um, we wear a lot of animal ears on headbands. <laughs> That's like the main thing I've been seeing. I've seen like a headband that has cat ears, rabbit ears, and like panda. Please ears. let that stay in lower grades. It's so fun. Someone <laughs> legit wore it last year for their school. So it's not totally new, but someone wore it in their school photo. Like they went and and got the photo done. It was like gigantic what is, light up cat What ears. is behind this trend? <laughs> I think, think it's the Snapchat filters. Yes, that's literally what I was going to say because right, I've seen though? adults take pictures with that same bunny ear Snapchat filter yeah, yeah. like all so the I time. So I think that they're so. like, oh my gosh, I look so cute with this Snapchat filter. Why not live with my real life? So just yeah. to be clear, these truth, are these are like literal headbands. <laughs> these, these are literal headbands that they're wearing in the real world. Yeah, they're pretty big too. Like most of the ears are at least like two inches high. high. Do you it's let like, them wear it in class? I let them wear it in class. Why would I not? It's fun. It's mappy. It's awesome. And then I'm like, okay, like, what do you think, Bunny? And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's C. Or, like, that's the answer. (laughs) Well, that will do it for this episode of No Wrong Answers. We should say Teach for America Kansas City is the underwriter of this podcast, but No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control. What our teachers say are their personal opinions which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. And again, when you go to our Facebook page, you can log on to our shared community feedback Google Doc and give us some ideas for future shows and ask some questions for our upcoming Ask the Teachers segments. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed the conversation you've heard today, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Thanks to our teachers this week, Maddie Burkemper, Luann Fox, David Persley, 
Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodap, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. I'm Kyle Palmer, and remember, kids, especially this time of year, be nice to your teachers. Mm-hmm.